We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another edition of a Pack a Day podcast. We have a very special episode today. It is episode number 200. Amazing to believe that we are already here. And not only is it episode 200, but we have somebody very special with us today. Before I get to that, I'm your host. I am Jacob Westendorf. And joined with me again is Zach Jacobson. Zach, I'm ice skating in my front lawn today. How's California life treating you? Well, I mean, you know, it's kind of been like a... 
it's been a general theme for me to brag about the weather over here, but it's actually been like raining like hell the last few weeks. Um, I woke up to it this morning, but hey, you know, it's, it's, it's great. I'm loving it, man. And it's not, you know, 20 degrees below zero like over there, but you know, I can deal with it. Yeah, see, it rained here a couple nights ago, but then it goes below freezing, so that stuff turns to ice. So I literally think I could play hockey in my backyard if I wanted to right now. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, joined with us, though, as a special guest. It's the 200th episode, so you knew we had to do it big. We have the co-owner of Cheesehead TV and Packers Talk Radio Network, Jersey Al. And before I start, um, Al is the one who actually got me involved with Packers blogging, Packers podcasting, all this sort of stuff. So everything I do is kind of owed to him to some degree. So Al, thank you for that. Uh, if you guys don't like me, then Al's kind of the guy that you have to blame for that regard. But Al is here. Uh, in addition, he is doing the offensive tackles for the Cheesehead TV draft guide. So he's a very busy man. So we appreciate your time. Al, welcome and say hello to everybody. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, listeners. It's great to be here. 200 episodes already. Wow. Absolutely, 200 episodes. And Al, I believe I believe the one time that we met was Throwback Weekend in 2014. Um, my question for you to start is, have you had a Wisco Disco since that day? No, I have not. You're not missing too much from what I remember. I wasn't a huge fan of, uh, <laughs> a huge fan of that particular beer, but that was a fun night. That was a fun event. Uh, it's unfortunate that we haven't been able to figure that out in quite some time uh but maybe we'll be able to sync something up here in the in the near future um honestly i wasn't a big fan of it uh, either <laughs> oh okay well there you go but i'm glad you said it first oh okay so i don't feel as bad for not liking the beer so al before we get into the packers related stuff obviously cheesehead tv is the at least in my opinion uh the number one blog platform uh for packers fans um a lot of it's getting actually a lot more uh, publicity, obviously. They have the app. They have um, live television shows, live radio, uh, all kinds of different stuff. The draft guide is phenomenal every year, and I said that before I wrote in it, so you guys can't say it's just because I'm in it. Um, how did that all get started, though? You said before the show you've been in this for about a decade. So how did that all yeah. come about for you? Well, <laughs> how much time do we have? Oh, 20. <laughs> all right. Uh, about... Like I said, a decade, about 10 years or so ago, um, my kids were either actually both in college or one had already graduated college. So suddenly I had free time. It wasn't all these weekend trips to soccer tournaments and coaching and all this other stuff that I used to do. Like, what am I going to do with my spare time? I'm like, well, I've always been all about sports and I like writing. So I started exploring and I found this this new website called Bleacher Report and it was kind of interesting. Anybody could go in, create a login, write, and people would read your stuff. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Any, but then again, that was the good thing about it, and the bad thing about it was anybody could do it, right? So, the, you know, there was a, a wide disparity there, but uh, people seemed to like what I was writing, so I said, all right, well, why don't I create my own website, which I did. Uh, Jersey Al's Packers blog it was, and then uh, later changed that to all Green Bay Packers, brought in some other writers, uh, migrated that into, I'm giving you the short version here, migrated that into Packers Talk with C.D. Angeli. We kind of co-owned that and uh, wanted to combine podcasting uh, and, and blogging on um, one website. So that's what, kind of what we do over there. 
And then about two years ago, or I guess it's a little more than two years ago, when Brian Caribou uh, left uh, Chisa TV to open up his uh, eatery and bar that, that he's actually running now, uh, Beer Rock, uh, I got a call from Aaron and Corey, like, hey, why don't you come to Chisa TV and kind of take over editorial and managing the site and that kind of stuff. And we came to an agreement and uh, that's where that's where I am. And I gotta say, I agree with your description that uh, Chisa TV is really, I think, pretty unique, right? If you look around, <clears throat> and I certainly do, I check out all the competition and all the, the, the other Packers blogs, both independent and the ones with a lot of you know, money behind them, uh, venture capital backing and things like that. And I don't think anybody does what we do. Anybody gives you the wide breadth of what we of what we do on Cheesehead TV. So I'm, I'm definitely pretty proud of, of what we've accomplished there and, you know, what we hope to accomplish going forward too. And I'll even add into that real quick. As you just mentioned, Packers-related blogging. I mean, in general, when you look around the league, around other teams, I mean – I don't think there's a wide range of content quite from not only do you get voices like, you know, Aaron Nagler and Corey Banke and Andy Herman and guys like that, but there's also this show alone has, I think, 30 different people uh, that come through it and it's every day. And that's, I mean, that's no disrespect to like Peter Bukowski, who does a great job with Locked on Packers, but there just, there isn't that wide variety from one, the Packers, like you mentioned, and two, uh, really anywhere. I think most of your blogs, and if, I, if I'm missing one, I'm sure that I am, but I, I look around just like you do on you know, some of the other teams as well, and I just don't know that there's anything quite like it. And it really is amazing considering that it's the Green Bay Packers. You know, We're not talking about like a New York team or this huge market where there's so many things to talk about and drama is at like the front forefront of everything. It's the Packers, and it's a small town like Green Bay. And on this show alone – you can see the wide range of, you know, areas that fan bases come from because, like me, I live in Illinois. I live right in the heart of Bears country. I'm a Packers fan. Al, your name is Jersey Al. I think that gives away where <laughs> where you're located. And, uh, Zach, I mean, you're clear out in California. So I think it's awesome, everything that you guys have done um, all together. And I, I don't even know, is this something you ever pictured it growing into something like this 10 years ago or even five years ago? No, definitely not. I mean, ten, 10 years ago, I was just looking for something to do with some spare time, right? Thinking that, you know, somewhere down the road, I'm, I'm going to retire, and I'd like to have a little hobby, a bunch of hobbies, things that I do, and nothing really more than that, but it's just grown and grown every year, which has made me busier and busier every year, and it's almost like a second job now, but, you know, if I didn't enjoy doing it, I wouldn't do it, so... Um, yeah, nobody could have envisioned where we are at this point, or you know, where we, where will we be in another five years? Who knows? But I'm enjoying the ride. Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole lot of fun, Zach. I, I've talked enough. Do you want to jump in, or do you have anything you want to you want to throw in on that side of things before we get into our stuff here? Basically, along the lines of, you know, Al's really responsible for hooking me up at Cheese at TV too. You know, and I've been there for going on three years now, and it's it's insane how that time just completely just flew by us you know it's, it's insane and you like you said you look back 10 years ago you're looking for something to do and i'm just looking back three years ago and i'm like wow where the hell did this time go you know but you know and i'm still you know extremely grateful for that opportunity you know and i i've 
really enjoyed it the whole the whole way. And like you said too, we have so many so many voices, Jacob, like on on this show alone, and and the Packers like blogosphere that you know kind of pitch in. And it helps us too, you know, in, in this kind of dead time of the year when there's not much news circulating right now. And you know, a show earlier in the week kind of tackles the things we wanted to talk about. We can kind of you know not piggyback, but we can kind of add our own spin to it, you know, <laughs> so we don't have to come up with a completely new topic. Absolutely agree. Uh, it's a lot of fun. So, Al, you're a big part of that, obviously. Um, so we appreciate you coming on. And like you said, I know you're a busy guy. So uh, appreciate it and want to get going here. So obviously I know that you are the president of the Mike McCarthy fan club. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, anybody who's followed Al, anybody who's followed Al on Twitter realizes, uh, Al, I mean, you really wanted Mike fired – probably after that Seahawks game in 2014. Am I correct when I say that? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'm not a big fire him guy. You know, I'm not a big fire him, but I wanted – that I was so disgusted. I mean, it still bothers me to even talk about that game because it was so preventable and it was so avoidable and it was just coaching that could have prevented that from happening. And then the next – in two weeks, they're in the Super Bowl, right? Who knows what happens then? Maybe Rodgers and McCarthy have their second second ring. It was so avoidable, and from that and that point on, it just got more and more negative for me. Now, in in truth be told, you know, I've, I've kind of been a McCarthy critic for a long time, you know, way before Seattle. But but again, I'm not a firing type of guy. I was just looking for change or pointing out where I think things could be better, you know. Uh, but to your point, that Seattle game really cemented my feelings. Yeah, and that really, uh, I mean, honestly, if we're looking at it, in theory, in theory, time is running out for the Patriots and Tom Brady, but that may have been the best chance that we had to see a Aaron Rodgers versus Tom Brady Super Bowl, and now, who knows, we may never see that. But that's that's not why I was leading into that question. Um, what I was asking was, obviously, they did fire Mike McCarthy this year on uh, December 2nd after a loss to the Arizona Cardinals. My first question to lead into the next one is, one, were you a fan of the in-season hire, or in-season fire, excuse me, and then what are your thoughts on the hire of Matt LaFleur? Did you have somebody else in mind? Was that your guy? Did you have something in particular that you wanted to see when they hired uh, the next head coach? Well, I'm, I'm not a favor, in favor of firing a coach, you know, in the middle of the season. And I was, frankly, really shocked. I mean, I was telling everybody, oh, there's no way they're going to fire McCarthy during the season. It's not going to happen. There's no, whoops, it just happened. You know, what team is this? Is this a team I've been following for all these years? Um, so that really kind of shocked me. So I can't say that I was a fan of that. I definitely wanted change at the end of the season. As far as who I wanted to come in, you know, that's, that's an area where, honestly, I don't really consider myself an expert, you know. I don't know a lot about assistant coaches around the league and, and uh, other than some of the bigger names. I mean, Josh McDaniels obviously was thrown around a lot, and you know him because he's been to the Super Bowl a few times now, uh, and, and they've had pretty good success. But uh, so I really didn't get into who... I wanted, I just wanted somebody different, a new voice, some new ideas, somebody to reinvigorate uh, the team because I really kind of felt that that the, um, you know, that the 
dedication wasn't there that we've seen in, in previous years. So, you know, LaFleur didn't know a lot about him other than what he had, you know, where he worked. Um, since, obviously, we've, we've all read a lot about him. Um, I'm more than willing to give whoever they hired a, a chance. So I'm, I'm just ready to roll with LaFleur and, and his team. Yeah, I was kind of the same way. I, you know, I was telling people, you know, there's no possible conceivable way that they would fire McCarthy in the middle of the season. But after that Cardinals game, it kind of just, oh, man. it kind of, yeah, it hit, hit you like a freight train at the time. You know, you see that notification pop up on your phone, you're kind of taken back a little bit. But, you know, I thought, on one hand, you let this guy who is one of the most winningest coaches in your history kind of just finish out his tenure with the team. He, pro- he probably knows he's going to get fired at the end of the year. Everyone in management knows he's going to get fired at the end of the year. I mean, why, you know, why prolong it? Why prolong the inevitable? So I guess, you know, on one hand, you let him finish finish the season as a respectful, classy gesture, you know, like a, as a, a, a thank you, I guess. And on the other hand, you get it done, get it over with, don't delay it, and you – Give him a head start on finding a new job, which he was rumored to the Jets and Browns. Um, and you spare him that whole month of just the rumors and speculation and all the nonsense that goes along from the media. And, you know, I think, that, you know, I think they, they made the right decision in, in terms of letting him go. But, yeah, my, my guy I was banging the table for was John Harbaugh, which I know a lot of people think he was kind of like a carbon copy of McCarthy. But, I, you know, I completely disagree. You know, I think... Harbaugh would be the kind of guy to, to work perfectly with Aaron Rodgers, and he's, you know, he's not obviously the young, the, the, the blueprint that's going around the league right now, the Sean McVeighs and the Matt Nagy's, and now the Matt LaFleur's, you know, he's he's an, an older coach, he's been there, done that, he won a Super Bowl with Joe Flacco, you know, so it would be fun to see what he'd be able to do with uh, with Aaron Rodgers, but obviously he got that extension, that, like, my pipe dream got erased, but, you know, Matt LaFleur, I'm, I'm I'm all in on this guy. You know, you look back at his pedigree and what he was able to do with his former teams and the the, the, the coaching tree with Kyle Shanahan, and it's 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 going to be fun. You know, getting that new innovative voice in Green Bay. Yeah, can't wait to see see some new things. Yeah, it's about time. That it is. Let's let's move to the general manager because this is something. It's not it's new, but it's not as new. Uh, Ted Thompson was removed. Last year, you could call it demotion by promotion, call it whatever you want, but he's not the general manager anymore. Uh, it was Brian Gutekunst, and uh, that was a little surprising, I guess. I think a lot of people expected the answer. If you had asked people before Ted Thompson retired or you know whatever you want to call it again, who the general manager was going to be next, I think a lot of people thought it was going to be Elliot Wolf. Uh, some of that because of who his father is, but a lot of that because he's been with the organization forever and ever. And then it wasn't Elliot Wolf. Uh, after the process kind of started, it really sounded like Russ Ball was going to be the general manager, and then that didn't work. And then depending on you know what you read and who you read it from and all that stuff, there was actually a, a theory that Mark Murphy had read some of the backlash that the fans, the coach, and the quarterback in particularly had on Russ Ball becoming the GM and then pivoted toward Brian Gutekunst. So... At any rate, Gutekunst is the general manager now. And, Al, I think 
the first thing that I noticed about him is just how different he is from Ted Thompson. And I mean that in just about every facet possible. He wants to talk to the media. He faces the media. Uh, he was a little more aggressive in free agency. It was different on draft day even. He traded down in the first round, then traded back up. And it was just kind of a, an interesting new regime, if you will. But, you know, some kind of a mixed bag in terms of how his first season went. You know, Jimmy Graham, that move didn't work out as well as he probably thought it would. Uh, some of his other moves did, like Bashad Breeland had a pretty good year for a bargain basement pickup, and the type of move that, quite frankly, uh, no disrespect again to Ted Thompson, but Ted never would have made that move uh, in a million years. He never really did throughout his tenure here. But what were your thoughts on the, the timing of Ted Thompson's removal and then Brian Gutekunst's first season as the general manager? Well, in hindsight, right, it's easy to, to look back now, but... In hindsight, Thompson stuck around a couple of years too long. I mean, you look at the, the draft history over the last three years of, of his um, tenure in, in Green Bay as the, as the general manager, um, really pretty poor, right? You look at how many players are no longer with the team. I mean, and in what that did was it handed uh, Boots a team needing a lot of reworking, right? I mean, besides obviously having one of the top quarterbacks in the league and and um, they uh, right away went out and signed him to an extension, so that's not going to change. He's got a lot of roster to turn over, right? I mean, he doesn't really have an easy job. Um, so, you know, for the first year, like you said, a little bit up, a little bit down. Um, I kind of give him a, a B, maybe even a B plus, um, being a little on the optimistic side as, a, as, I, as I am, you know, but obviously you mentioned being different than Ted Thompson. Just about anybody would have been different than Ted Thompson, right? I mean, <laughs> there were very few general managers in the league that ran their team the way Ted Thompson did. Um, and I'm not saying that as a criticism. He obviously had a, had a lot of early success. Um, but as far as Goody goes, um, I like what he did in the draft. You know, I uh, picked up some great players, picked up an extra draft pick. Uh, he did a real nice job um, with free agency, even though they didn't all work out. And at least he, he, was, he was there. He wasn't sitting on his hands. He got Graham. He got Wilkerson. He got, brought in Tremont. He brought in Breland, uh, Mercedes Lewis, although the coach never used the guy. But you know, those were all solid roster changing and roster depth moves with the exception of Graham who you, know, you would expect it to be more of a factor but but you know I, I expect that approach to continue um, and the guy even made trades you know he got players who were malcontents or freeloading off the team who didn't want to be there and he sent them packing you know Demarius Randall and my favorite haha Clinton Dix um, my favorite safety of all time without a doubt they're gone, thank goodness. Um, you know, you take a short-term hit when you make moves like that. Obviously, it didn't help the team last year, but when it pays off in a more together team down the road, I, I think it's worth it. And, you know, he made some other trades that were kind of not much to talk about. Kaiser basically, basically traded Kaiser for Hunley. Um, Morrison brought in um, for trading for Pipkins, right? And not even playing, so that's a plus. But 
overall, you know, I give them a, a solid B, um, leaning towards a B plus, but I'll, I'll stick with a B just to be conservative. Yeah, you know, I can't really knock Gutekunst's tenure, uh, his first year, just because it, it is his first year, you know. It's going to take some time to truly get acclimated, get that, that full roster turnover that, that everyone's expecting, everyone's hoping for. I, you know, I think I thought he had a pretty good draft. Um, you know, he kind of kind of struck out on a couple of picks. Like, uh, we don't know what's going on with Cole Madison. Obviously, that's a personal matter, so we can't really – it's hard to speculate, but – uh, you know, I thought I thought he had a relatively good draft, and when the Packers were kind of struggling in certain positions during the season, he he didn't hesitate to go out and grab guys. You know, they didn't hesitate to hit the, you know hit the waters and bring guys aboard. They got Bashad Brindland, Tony Brown, Tyler Lancaster, who ended up coming on and really playing significant snaps uh, on on the defensive line. He ended up being really good. You know, that could be like kind of like a, a find for the Packers, and um, if, if Ibrahim Campbell. Who played at safety and he made some good plays, but um, overall, you know, like what what he did in the draft specifically, the moving up, the moving back down, and netting that first round pick in the process, I think that really kind of that kind of hit it home for me. I was like, okay, this guy, this guy's pretty good. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna give him give him a little time. It was the whole it was the whole Kaiser for Randall swap that kind of really made me question things a little bit because I wasn't I, you know, I wasn't a fan of that trade at the time and I know they, they kind of wanted to dunk Marius Randall, they wanted to get him out of there and in the process they were able to bring in a, a backup quarterback which they obviously felt Brett Hundley wasn't the answer after 2017, they kind of they knew that and Kaiser had, had the potential and they pried him from the, the quarterback dumpster fire that was Cleveland and Gave him a chance to learn behind one of the game's best in Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, I, I, I get the move. I get behind I just don't understand why trading your best defensive back for that kind of that kind of profit would be uh, worthwhile. But still, I'm kind of I'm, I'm tinkering on the borderline of a B- and a B for Gutekunst. Um, I think he has, he has a lot of... Uh, a lot of work to do this offseason. Him and that whole that whole front office, including Mark Murphy now, who is going to be a, a, a voice in whatever whatever they do. But they're entering what is going to be one of the biggest offseasons in recent memory for the Packers. It's going to be extremely important to get a new coach, a new coach going, a new coach comfortable, get the pieces around Aaron Rodgers after how poorly they played overall last season, get, getting him healthy as well. And... There's just it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch, but you know a lot a lot of work to do. It's kind of the perfect segue there, Zach, because the next question is about Mark Murphy and Al. This is something that's kind of unique, and this is not a way of me calling you old, but you do remember the days of when you know before Ron Wolf was the general manager, and they gave total control to the general manager and the structure the Packers have had in place every year since 1991 until this past season when Mark Murphy basically changed the entire structure, the head coach and the general manager report now directly to him. And there was a lot of discussion about that, a lot of worry, a lot of concern, a lot of jokes made about how, you know, is Mike McCarthy or now in this case Matt LaFleur going to have to go in front of the board and explain certain play calls he made. And a lot of people that were my age and younger didn't really understand that joke. And that's actually something that Bart Starr did have to do when he was the head coach. So that was a concern. 
when Mar Murphy announced he was changing the structure. Uh, it's a structure that is employed in certain places around the league. The Philadelphia Eagles have it, for example. They just won the Super Bowl. The Pittsburgh Steelers have had that structure for a very long time. They've obviously been very successful. But there are several examples in history of an executive coming in and basically changing the way the Packers do things and it not being successful. I can mention that entire gap between Vince Lombardi and Mike Holmgren, Ron Wolf coming in, and the Packers were you know, basically an, an afterthought franchise. Uh, and they've been one of the most successful franchises in the NFL since Ron Wolf came around. So the question I have is, you know, this week Mark Murphy kind of came out and said, you know, I'm not doing football decisions. Um, he did hire the head coach, but he also said he wasn't going to hire a head coach that Brian Gutekunst wasn't comfortable with. But he's also not telling, you know, Gutekunst, hey, sign this guy, or no, we can't sign this guy, or, you know, he's not giving ultimatums or telling people why we're passing on third and one or anything like that. Is that a sigh of relief to you in particular? And what are your thoughts in general on the way Murphy's handled himself over the last 14 months or so? Um, okay, that's a lot to digest there. You asked some long questions. <laughs> um, all right, so Mark Murphy not making football decisions. Well, I certainly hope not, right? Has he, has he ever made football decisions other than hiring the GM and hiring the coach, which basically on the football side to me that his work is done. You know, he can now go back to snow tubing and cutting ribbons and doing all that kind of stuff and, uh, and managing the, the back end of the, of the Packers uh, operations. But, um, you know, how has he handled himself? Well, I think he's taken a, a lot of criticism because it, it's been shown in hindsight that maybe he should have acted sooner in a few cases, you know, with, with the general manager and possibly even with the, with the head coach. You know, we've had two seasons now of no playoffs. Maybe the first year they don't make the playoffs, maybe that should have been enough of a sign for him to say, you know what, we got to go in a new direction then. But, you know, um, overall, you know, if he just – I don't mind the goal, getting back to the structure part. I really don't mind that structure. To me, I kind of like having one guy who can kind of be the buffer between the other two. You know, I mean, coaches and GMs historically, you know, a lot of them do not see eye to eye or, or, you know, get along because the coach wants one thing for his team and the GM has to look at it differently, maybe from more of a financial standpoint or, or down the road standpoint. So there's a lot of disagreements in general between coaches and GMs. I don't mind having one guy above them both where the three of them can sit in a room and hash it all out. So I, I don't mind the structure. I think it was kind of silly the amount of grief some Packers fans have given them for that. Uh, I don't think that's really that important, to be honest. But um, if he goes back to, like I said, taking photo ops, snow tubing down the, the hill and and uh, managing the back end, I'll be more than happy with that. Yeah, you know, I didn't really mind it either. I mean, these guys, they're professionals. You know, they, they know how to do their freaking jobs, and they, you know, their, their interests are geared towards what's best for the team, and I think a lot of people kind of forget that. They think, you know, they think sometimes these guys are just sitting in an office together, all three of them, and they just kind of, they work on how the best 
the best possible, like, best way to just completely blow up the Packers and completely sabotage them. And, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not practical, you know. And Mark Murphy, I mean, as far as he goes, he's been around football all his life. You know, he's been, he, he came onto the scene in 77 as, as a player. And he's been, after his career, he worked all, all uh, in all avenues of the sport. So he, he knows how, how to handle himself in terms of that. He knows how, maybe not to build a team, but he knows the ins and outs uh, in, in terms of that. So he's not just, he's not completely locked in the dark in, in, in terms of that. So I think having a guy like that who's kind of multifaceted as both a player and as an executive, I think it kind of it, it kind of helps in favor of the Packers, you know. And in my opinion, it's probably better than just having someone who's kind of one-dimensional, you know. But, yeah, I think all, all the stress and the worrying about how how that hierarchy is made up, I think it's just it's for, for nothing. You know, it's, it's just it's pointless to worry about it. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think it's funny because, you know, Al, you mentioned the people that wanted Murphy to act sooner when he wasn't really in charge of, you know, some of the football stuff. And, you know, they're complaining that Murphy's not active enough, and now they're complaining that he's too active. And I'm sure as a Internet savant that you are, you can agree with this, that there are some people that just are not happy unless they have something to complain about. So this was perfect uh, for some of those people. For this episode, we had listener questions. Thank you guys for reaching out to that. It's actually kind of cool that we got a guest in. So, Al, if you don't mind, uh, we're going to have you participate in some of that. Uh, yeah, the, no absolutely. Okay, so the first question we had was from Emma Adela, and I apologize if I butchered that last name, but she asked all of us, you know, what made you guys become Packers fans? So I will start. Uh, everybody that's listened to the show knows Zach is like 14 or something like that. And I just turned 27. (laughs) (laughs) Zach loves when I make those kinds of jokes. Um, I just turned 27 in September. Uh, So my first real Packers memory is Brett Favre. And I remember watching some of the games from the Super Bowl season in 96. But, um, you know, my first real memory is watching Brett Favre run around uh, the Superdome with his helmet above his head. And, you know, after he'd thrown a touchdown pass to Andre Risen. And it's funny because the next year, obviously, they lost the Super Bowl uh, to the Broncos. And me, like, I had only really paid attention to football for two years. And, like, at the time, they lost the Super Bowl, and I wasn't really that upset about it because I'm like, oh, they play in the Super Bowl all the time. Like, this is a common thing. Like, you know, what I say now about the Patriots being a anomaly and that's not normal. When I was that age, I thought that was normal. I'm like, okay, the Packers will be back in the Super Bowl next year and everything will be just fine. Obviously, they didn't return until 2010. But... To answer the question directly, uh, I became a fan uh, during the 96 season, and I remember specifically the play where Favre threw a touchdown pass. And Brett Favre was my favorite player from the time I was a little kid until, you know, they traded him when I was 16 years old to the New York Jets. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I remember going in the backyard and my my best friend's dad always yelling at me because I was trying to throw it as hard as Brett Favre could. And he's like, you're going to break your arm or, you know, something's going to fall off or something like that. Like, that's not normal. You're not supposed to play quarterback like Brett Favre does, but Brett Favre can because he's Brett Favre, not to sound too much like John Madden. But that's the answer for me uh, when he was around in the Superdome. So, uh, Al, um, you know, your answer is going to be a little different than mine, I imagine, unless you're a front runner, uh, which I know you're not. So when, when did you become a Packers fan? Is there a specific moment? Is there a year where you raised that way? Uh, how did that happen? 
Well, let me put it this way. I've been a Packers fan twice as long as you've been alive. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and you're younger than I thought. I, I thought you were a little older than 27, but it, not that that matters for anything. But, um, <laughs> Karma. <laughs> Zach enjoyed that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I guess my first memory as a kid watching, seeing a football game on TV was the, was the first Super Bowl, right? I was probably, I don't know, around 10 years old, somewhere around there at the time. And, you know, Vince Lombardi and the Packers and Bart Starr. I'm like, oh, okay. This is, you know, they seem like a good team. And then the next year, they're back in there again. And I'm watching the Super Bowl again. I'm like, okay, well, I think that's kind of cemented it for me. That's the team I'm going to, going to root for. Uh, huge Bart Starr fan. You know, I used to take a walk. I lived in the, in the city, so we had... Within blocks of where I lived, there were stores and magazine shops and corner drugstores and stuff like that. So I'd, I'd walk down on a Saturday and go to the magazine section and look at through all the, we used to have all these printed, you know, football magazines, uh, um, Pro Football Weekly, Pro Football Report, you name it. There were all these weekly magazines, full color. Uh, those were the days, huh? Uh, so I used to go down there, leaf through them all, and if any of them had a picture of Bart Starr in it, I'd buy that magazine, take it home, rip out the picture of Bart Starr, and put it up on my wall. So I had like this whole wall of Bart Starr pictures. So, you know, by that point, I was cemented as a Packer fan, and, and I'm the type that, you know, I'm loyal to the team I pick. I've never changed a team in my life. I've been a, a Knicks fan, a Rangers fan, a Yankees fan. The only non-New York area team I've ever rooted for is the Packers, so I stuck with that. Then when I got to high school age, uh, started playing football in high school, our head coach had actually played uh, against Vince Lombardi, a Vince Lombardi coach team, who Vince Lombardi was coaching high school, uh, St. Cecilia's High School in New Jersey at the time. So he gave us a couple of Lombardi stories, as you know, and I'm sure some of his, <coughs> excuse me, Halftime motivational speeches that that he had were stolen probably right from Vince Lombardi playbook. So uh, <laughs> go for the brass ring. I mean, I remember him almost word for word, you know. And they they sound so much like Vince Lombardi. So in any case, that's the genesis. And like I said, I don't change teams. So even though it all went to hell in the seventies and the eighties, you know, I suffered along with with everybody else and and was thrilled when things changed in the 90s. So that's my story anyway. So a Knicks fan, I hope you are ready as I am for Kevin Durant to sign with the New York Knicks. There you go, everybody. It's on It's on the radio. So when oh, he doesn't sign with the Knicks, you can yell at me. Um, it's, so, it's so crazy around here with that. We won't get into it on the Packers podcast, but the insanity that our Knicks fans, it's just incredible. I love it. I'm friends with yeah. a couple of Knicks fans myself, so it's it's actually really fun to listen to some yeah. optimism, actually, instead of like a love-hate relationship that people have uh, with the Knicks. But, Zach, uh, I, I won't make an age joke this time around, but what it, you know, Al went through his, I went through mine. When, when did you become a Packers fan? How did that happen? Especially, I mean, you're born and raised California kid. Yeah, I kind of, I circle back to 1999, which I, that was when I was four years old. So we can do the math. I'm turning 24 in, in like a week. Um, 
I got my hands on a book that a beat writer for the Packers in the mid-90s gave to my mom, then, you know, all signed and everything. It was called Return to Glory. It was by uh, Kevin Isaacson and um, Tom Kesnick. I and have the same book. That's insane. Wow. Brother? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Brother. Um, <laughs> yeah, um... I got that book, and obviously, you know, I was four years old at the time, so I had, I, I, had, I, you know, I wasn't like reading through the whole thing like a like a crazy cultivated child. But I was looking through the pictures, you know, because it has that like brief part in the middle where there's like you know some pictures, and for some reason, I just I loved their freaking jerseys. I don't know why, <laughs> and I was just four years old, so you know that obviously like that totally like enlightened me, and. Um, so that was that was the first year I actually saw my first game too, and it happened to be it was that season finale against the Cardinals. Um, it was I think it, I think Joyce Levens had like a career day. He had like four touchdowns. Um, Favre didn't light it up or anything, so I don't know how the hell I fell in love with Brett Favre. But that was that was the day I just saw the Packers lighting it up and they were blowing this team out at home, and I was just like, wow, you know these guys are these guys are good. These guys are really good. So <laughs> you know it was the the the, the book the jerseys. And that one game, you know, I know that that was the year that season opener with the comeback against the Raiders. Yeah. Uh, that season, that that crazy game with Favre, and um, yeah, it kind of really just stuck from there. And you know, no one can ever call me a bandwagon. You know, one because I was four years old, and two, I mean, ninety nine. That was the first year under Ray Rose. They had no Mike Holmgren, no Reggie White. There was no, there was no Fritz Shermer anymore. There was like there was nothing. You know, that that team was like a shell of of teams they were the years before so you know I, I can always have that in my back pocket but yeah then it just it just stuck with me throughout throughout the years I started actually I did start reading that book I kind of really really learning more about their history and just you know I, I used to play Madden when I was little obviously you know growing up in the 2000s and stuff so every chance I would get I would I would get on Madden and right around July August I would go on to the Packers website and go to their, their player roster and every single like no name practice squad player that they were going to sign I would create him in the game and I would just load up the freaking roster as much as I could until I couldn't anymore and I just I, like I wanted that I wanted that that detail that level of realism you know and you know it was just it was just kind of like it was a, a passion I guess following following that team and you know once I started learning more about the fans and the history and you know how, how how great it was to be a part of something like that. You know, it was you know I, I took I took a lot of pride in that, and then eventually I was able to turn it into a hobby with writing and you know a job. So that's that's it, it's it's come a long way. You know, twenty twenty years strong now actually. So it's a uh, that's really that's really my story. <laughs> You know something I can tell from everybody telling the stories that we just did. You can hear the you can hear the nostalgia, the passion, and all that stuff from when it happened. Whether you know, like whether Al said it was when it was in the '60s with Bart Starr, and by the way, the highest rated uh, passer in the history of the postseason. Maybe he's the greatest of all time. Just throwing that out there. I'm sure you appreciate that, Al. But uh, you know, the stuff with Bart Starr, me with Brett Favre, or you know, Zach when it was 1999, which is really interesting because that's kind of the the year that this season has been compared to a couple times, a lot of people were reminded of the Ray Rhodes team with this year where the games they won, you know, the Packers won eight games that year in 99. They only won six this year, obviously, but um, 
you know, the way they won those games usually were on like insane far comebacks, and they very easily could have been like four and twelve in that given year, but they weren't. Uh, and this year with you know Rodgers, you think of the Bears game and the Niners game specifically, uh, and even the Jets game. I mean, the Packers very easily could have been three and thirteen uh, if you look at it from from that standpoint. So that's interesting that that's the year uh, that came through for you. Uh, next question is from Sergio Galvez. And again, I apologize to everybody if I'm butchering your names, but I don't know how to say them. So he said, what are the real expectations for the actual wide receiver room? So people that are in the receiver room now, Al, there's kind of a debate on whether or not the Packers have a, a need, quote unquote, at wide receiver, because they obviously use three picks on those young guys. Uh, Jamon Moore didn't do a whole lot. EQ and MVS both really flashed. And then, of course, there's People's Champ, uh, the new People's Champ, Whitewater Jesus, Jake Kumaro. Uh, who had a big touchdown in that last uh, road game there in your backyard against the New York Jets. Um, My answer to that question is I got no problem with competition. Uh, I think competition breeds excellence. Um, I think you find the cream of the crop that way. I personally believe, you know, they're – I keep looking back to, you know, the Packers, there was one year they already had uh, Donald Driver and Greg Jennings and James Jones and everybody loved Ruval Martin and then they drafted Jordy Nelson and everybody goes, what the hell, like – they don't need a wide receiver. And then Jordy's arguably the best receiver in this half of the Packers era, if you will, starting in like 2010. You can at least make a pretty good argument that that is the case. So I have no problem if there's somebody sitting there at like 44 overall and that they need a pick. I will say, in general, whether that's somebody on the roster or somebody in free agency or somebody in the draft, I do think they need to find a slot receiver uh, that is able to take over a game the way Randall Cobb was in 2014 and they really haven't seen that from Cobb since for various reasons uh I don't know if that means bringing Cobb back I don't know if that means somebody like Golden Tate or uh Cole Beasley who's been a popular name or if that means a draft pick like Debo Samuel or somebody like that in that round but my expectations I mean in general I like those guys I think they have some talent but I'll say the same thing I said last year uh, when somebody asked me about Des Bryant. Now, I did not want Des Bryant to sign with the Packers. I have a, maybe it's irrational, but I just, I don't like him um, for various reasons. Uh, former Dallas Cowboy, he didn't catch that pass in Green Bay, and he still keeps talking about it like it was yesterday, and the entire fan base in Dallas still does that. So I didn't want him to sign. But what I said was they shouldn't allow three non-top 100 draft picks to stop them from trying to upgrade the position. It's different if, like say that, the Packers had drafted Laquan Treadwell in the first round. You need to find something with that first-round pick, if that's possible. First-round picks get every opportunity possible, sometimes too many, but I understand why they do that. With non-top 100 picks, I, I don't think that that's something they should stop them uh, from upgrading. So, Al, going forward, I know you kind of have mentioned that you're, you know, you're working solely on offensive tackles, so maybe the draft prospects, not necessarily, but what are your expectations for the wide receiver room that's currently in place, and do you think that's something they need to address, uh, whether it's a free agent or a high-ish draft pick? Well, my opinion, Cobb should go and Beasley should go. I'm all in on the Beasley. I'm leading that train. Okay. okay. He played one less season than Cobb. He doesn't miss games. He's tough as nails. We saw him in the playoffs playing on a severely sprained ankle. He toughed it out. He was out there. He ran his route, made the catch, and then severely limped back to the huddle or to the or to the sideline. Came out again and 
he really impressed me that day in terms of toughness. And to me, the guy is really hard to cover. The, the Cowboys, I don't think, really used him enough. I, I don't want to throw this name out because people will get all crazy, but I think he can be kind of Elman-like, you know? I, I think he's got the qualities where if you use him correctly, he could really break down defenses for you. Um, as far as the young guys, I like the youngins, okay? In my my mock for the Cheez-It TV draft guide last year, I agonized over my wide receiver pick, and my two choices were MVS and ESP, all right? So I liked them both back then. I eventually went with uh, MVS as my choice, but I liked them both then, and I still do. Um, I think that there's, with a little development, they're both going to be very good receivers in this league. Jamon Moore, who the hell knows? You know, what do we make of him? I, I don't know. Uh, if he can catch the ball, uh, you know, maybe. Uh, as, as far as Kumaro, you know, other than somersaulting in the end zone, he, he kind of flashed when given a chance. Uh, so if not Beasley or Cobb, maybe he gets a shot in that role. So I'm kind of fine with the – I don't even mention Adams because there's no reason to mention him. You know, he's our number one. Uh, so I'm kind of fine with the wide receiver room. I would add Beasley to the mix, and then I think we're really good. Oh, and one other thing. You know, I think Packers fans kind of really got spoiled and, and led astray back when uh, the Packers were loaded at wide receiver and McCarthy was running five wide on, on some plays. And, you know, those days are over, Packers fans. Okay, just put that behind you. That's not going to happen again. So there's no reason to have five really, really good wide receivers. Next. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> okay. Agreed there. That's fair. I, I do remember you picking MVS and ESB, so that was interesting uh, once that actually happened. So that was kind of cool. Maybe you're in the pockets of Brian Gutekunst more than we even know. Uh, I won't make you say that on the show, obviously. Zach, you're kind of the leader of the Randall Cobb fan club. I don't want to say that like it's a bad thing, but – you know, what are your thoughts on the receiver room? Uh, do you think Cobb should go? Do you think uh, the guys in there are good enough? Do they need to add somebody like, I know you know some guys like Hollywood Brown, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, some of those guys. Yeah, I, know, I think it's, I, you know, as much as I've loved Cobb and I've loved his contributions, I think it's time to kind of part ways. Yeah, maybe depending on what kind of contract he wants, but still, even then, you know, I would be really iffy about bringing him back just it, the money, it's not worth how many games he's likely going to miss. You know, obviously you don't want to speculate on how many games he's going to miss, you know, if he's going to get injured or not. But but still, you know, it's 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 a likely scenario. And let's be honest with ourselves, you know, that, that's more than likely going to happen. So let, letting him go and, and testing the free agent waters, drafting uh, the, his, his replacement in the slot in the draft, I think that's the best route. I mean, I'm – I, I've been I've been looking in uh, Deshaun Jackson's direction. I think you bring him aboard, you give Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's 31, 32. He's still a, a, a deep threat. He's still one of the fastest guys on, on a football field when, whenever he lines up. So I think he would give Aaron Rodgers that deep threat that the Packers have been kind of lacking for a while. Obviously, you got Devontae Adams, but he's not, he's not a burner, obviously. But um, I, I, I think they should double dip. In my, in my opinion, I think you get someone like Deshaun Jackson and maybe draft someone. Maybe you can you can afford to pass up a first-round receiver. I, I would I would stay far and away from that. But 
you can grab someone maybe in the second or the third round at, at maybe 75th overall. You can grab a Penny Hart or an Andy Isabella, someone like that. I, I really like Penny Hart, and I'm kind of disappointed he didn't get invited to the combine. But um, I think you can grab someone like that and have him kind of come in and really uh, really kind of replicate Cobb's early, early production in Green Bay. And, you know, when, when, you, when I saw uh, Penny Hart play at, at the, the Senior Bowl, I saw shades of Randall Cobb. He looked like his mannerisms when he was running his routes looked exactly like Randall Cobb. His get up off the line looked like Cobb. And I, you know, I think someone like that paired with Deshaun Jackson, paired with maybe a tight end at 30th overall, like TJ Hawkinson, if he's there, which I, at this point, I'm kind of really doubting that he will be. It sounds like he's going to go in like top 15, but maybe like an Irv Smith Jr. in the second round. You know, the Packers kind of, after last season, I kind of got shell-shocked a little bit. I feel like they kind of need to load up on a little more receiving talent. You, you got MBS and you got ESB. The thing is, these guys, with development, I think they'll, they'll be solid, but they haven't been able to show any form of like week-to-week consistency. You know, and Rodgers, he, he expects perfection. He expects every nuance and detail in, in route running, in, in every little facet of playing the position. And, you know, these guys these guys don't have that down yet, and I don't, I don't think you can afford to kind of wait for them to get it down. You know, Rogers is entering the season where he's going to turn 36. You kind of got to, you got to take advantage of that and kind of just load up at this point. Uh, obviously, while addressing the defense as well. But still, I think uh, I think a receiver sometime in the second or third round would be uh, beneficial. You're getting dangerously close to sounding like Jermichael Finley with that Rogers expects perfection critique there so hey 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 take it easy <laughs> <laughs> i'll um, let that i'll let that one go this... I, I just say i just say it was a bad thing but you know we we do all know this al knows this you know that i mean he he does expect perfection in in a lot of the things that he expects his receivers to do agreed agreed uh we can go quick on this one guys i, I think this is going to be a one word answer uh and i don't mean to the question's obviously valid. I don't mean to like downplay it or whatever, but Josh Carroll's asked, should the Packers be stocking up on draft picks in order to draft Trevor Lawrence when he enters the draft? Uh, my answer is no, because Trevor Lawrence is two years away from even being draft eligible. Uh, and in order to do that, you're talking about, I mean, in order to stock up, if you will, on draft picks for that, you're talking about trading guys like Jair Alexander or... Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. Don't, don't bother there you go. This is not a serious question. I mean, come on. There you go. Okay, so it's a no, guys. We'll just move from yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Anthony Cordova asked, if Rodgers did not get injured, how much of that impact would that have on the young receiving core in Jimmy Graham? Because he basically missed practice for the entire first half or so of the season. Uh, my answer to that is I, I do think it played a part. Um, I don't know if that makes Jimmy Graham younger and faster, so to speak. But the younger guys, yeah, I think there was some – downside obviously to Rodgers missing practice you could see especially early in the season and really as the season played out it was I trust Devontae Adams and that's about it uh and you know that that can hurt especially when you know not to bring up his name again but Jermichael Finley was talking about how you know he wants you to be in the right spot in practice and if, if you're not then he's not going to throw you the ball kind of thing because he doesn't know where you're at so I definitely think that uh that played a part um I don't I don't know how much it's going to improve things here in 2019 that Rodgers is presumably healthy and able to stay healthy, but yeah, I think it played a part. Uh, Al, what do you think? How much how much did Rodgers' injury impact his rapport with the young guys and then the new tight end? You know, um, 
I think it's a bit overblown. I'm not saying that it doesn't play a part, you know, but if you look at, you know, plenty of wide receivers were, were drafted and came to Green Bay and took a few years to, to gain Rodgers' trust, okay? When he was healthy and when they were at every practice, okay? Right. Nelson, Jennings, Adams, they all had to wait before Rodgers believed in them. And these were he was practicing with, with Rodgers every, every day. So I don't know that Rodgers not participating as much in practice was a factor there. I think it actually may have been more of a factor with, with Graham, okay? Because I think Rodgers was more willing to say, all right, this guy's a veteran. I can depend on him to be where I think he's going to be. And I think he gave Graham that, that leeway, and that didn't always work out, you know? So I think it may have been more beneficial for that relationship that Rodgers was able to practice for. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Al on this. I think with the receivers, I mean, they probably would have taken a little longer to get going anyway. I mean, you, you mentioned Jennings and, uh, you know, all those guys. It, it took it, it took some time for him to truly believe in them and to be able to place the ball in certain spots, trusting that they're going to be able to make the catch. And I think it played a, a big factor into Graham because – you know, they brought Graham aboard, this six, seven tight end, to kind of high point, high point footballs in the air. And, you know, Rodgers didn't do that very often with him, you know, especially in the red zone. You know, he didn't, he didn't give Graham very many opportunities to kind of go up for the football and get vertical. But, you know, I, I think the lack of practice time, you know, it's, it's not like he isn't in these receivers' ears, you know. It's not like he's not talking to these guys and telling them, you know, how to do things and what to do, where to do it. You know, he... he He's not completely absent, you know. He's there, and I'm sure he's he's talking to them. He's explaining everything to them. You know, he's just not actually getting those true practice reps in with them until he actually started practice, practicing again. You know, mid season, later in the season. But yeah, I, I think the knee kind of did play a little bit of a part. But at the same time, it's it's a concoction of things. You know, a lot of things contributed to to, to their struggles on offense. It was the knee. It was the, the offensive line play. It was having two rookie receivers playing extensive snaps you know it was it was a whole bunch of things but the knee was definitely a part of it yeah i i agree last one guys and we're running a little short on time here i apologize but it's 200 episode we got to do it big right so mons Moy is the name of this person it has a dog avatar so i enjoy that because who doesn't like puppies uh and if well i don't want to know if you don't either uh Tight ends are seemingly a very strong group in 2019. As somebody who's doing the tight end portion of the TZ TV draft guide, I agree with that. I'll let you know that right away. Everyone is currently talking about TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fant, and Irv Smith. Looking at previous drafts, it's rare more than one goes in round one. Are there enough teams needing a tight end to get one early, and thus Green Bay has to take Hawkinson at 12? So this is more of a concept question. I don't want to go into specific prospects. One, because I don't want to spoil the draft guide. Uh, but because also it's February 9th, and to say who Green Bay has to take at a position, um, I, I, I think that's uh, a little premature. You know, last year at this time, everybody thought Josh Jackson was a surefire first-round pick, and if Green Bay doesn't take him at 14, they won't get him at all. They got him at 45. Things can change. Uh, my answer to this question is I don't ever want to lock into one person at one pick because that really is setting yourself up to be disappointed. And I think that... You know, in general, my guy, uh, his Seeds of Jake is his name on Twitter, and he pointed out, you know, names of some of the guys that would be worth or, you know, where they were picked as far as uh, the draft goes, and they were tight ends. 
Uh, some of those names include, you know, like Jared Cook was picked in the third round. Um, Rob Gronkowski, 42nd overall. George Kittle, 146. Jimmy Graham, 95th. Travis Kelsey, 63rd. Zach Ertz, 35th. And then you go to your first round tight ends. Eric Ebron was picked 10th. Not successful in Detroit, very successful in Indianapolis. David Njoku, 29th. Evan Ingram, 23rd. O.J. Howard, 19th. Hayden Hurst, 25th. Vernon Davis, 6th. Tyler Eifert, 21st. I mean, there's a lot of examples of guys that just they don't pan out necessarily. And I think that, now granted, I think that the two tight ends at the top, the kids from Iowa, are both very good players. I really like Irv Smith Jr. as well. Uh, But I don't think that the value is there to take a tight end at 12 unless it's absolutely guaranteed he's the best player on the board. And I just, I don't think that's going to be the case, uh, whether that's a pass rusher or a defensive lineman like Ed Oliver who could fall because of Aaron Donald-like concerns, meaning he was too short. Uh, I, I don't want to get too into, though, you know, I don't think the Packers, quote-unquote, have to take a specific position at 12. I think that, um, you know, the reality of this roster, as Al mentioned it earlier, is Gutekunst has a lot of work to do, and they need good players everywhere. You know, one popular name is Devin White from LSU at 12. I'm not sure how wild I am about that because I'm not sure how much better he is than Devin Bush, for example. But that's somebody who could be in play at 12th overall. Uh, maybe that is a tight end. Maybe it's an offensive tackle. Al, you can speak to a couple of those guys maybe. But there's there's too much at stake, and there's too many things that can change between now and April when the draft takes place to where, you know, there are guys who quote-unquote, you know, like last year the big name everybody talked Derwin James. He'll never be available at 14th. Well, he was available at 14, and the Packers passed on him. They traded out of the pick and then traded right back up as soon as James was taken so they could take Jair Alexander. So there's plenty of guys who, quote-unquote, won't be available when you're talking at this time of year that probably are available or could be available because there's so many things that could change. So my advice on that is don't get locked into one guy. Um, Zach, let's start with you. What I mean, what is your thought? Because you were talking about this a little bit this morning on the tight end position, and do they have to take a guy like that at 12 to ensure that they get one? No. No, there's – no. I. <laughs> the beauty about this draft and for the Packers is it, it's kind of loaded at positions that they need guys in. It's loaded at tight end. The defensive line is deep. Edge rushers, are, it's a, you know, it's a really good class. Uh, tight – did I say tight end already? Whatever. Tight end. Um, it, in – Picking one at 12, you know, I think in that first round, there's just so many things that they can do with that 12th and 30th pick. I mean, it, there's so many combinations that they can make. They can take a linebacker at 12 and, you know, an edge at 30. They can take an offensive lineman at 12 and a tight end at 30. You're an edge at 12 and a tight end at 30. You know, there's so many kind of combinations there that they can roll with. And, you know, with, with a deep class as, as tight end is right now, you can afford to take someone in the second or third round, maybe someone like Irv Smith or someone like Caleb Wilson, you know, you can, you can kind of wait for now. And they did bring back Jimmy Graham. They're going to give him one more year to mesh with Aaron Rodgers. So, you know, that doesn't decrease the need for, for a tight end of, of the future, but, you know, still bringing a guy aboard right now, giving him a chance to play behind Jimmy Graham and kind of ease his way maybe into the starting lineup, you know, that would be, that would be beneficial, but I wouldn't take one at, at 12 overall, not even if it's TJ Hawkinson, you know, and I, my, my opinion of Noah Fan is, is continuing to dwindle as uh, as February rolls along. But, yeah, no, I, w- I wouldn't grab a guy at 12 at tight end. 
Yeah, and there you have it. I mean, I don't think the difference between TJ Hawkinson and, say, if they had to pick him at 12, say he's not available at 30, I don't think the difference between him and Fant or Irv Smith is big enough to where you have to make sure that you get that guy and bypass someone like maybe Cleveland Farrell, Brian Burns, somebody like that. Right. Now, I know you said you didn't want to get into specifics, so we don't have to get into specifics. So let's just uh, let's talk about you know just the general idea. Do they have to take a specific position at twelve, or are you okay with you know the the canned line from Ted Thompson was we always take the best player available? Uh, I I think that that is half of a statement. I think they took the best player available at a position they felt was their biggest need. So what uh, what's your thought on on that particular question? Well. To- to answer the, uh, the initial question about taking uh, a tight end, whether, well, I guess it was specifically about Hawkinson, uh, my answer to that is no way would I do that. Absolutely no way. Unless you think this guy is going to be more dominant than Gronkowski was at his prime, no way. The value is, is not there to take a tight end that, that high. I mean, it, as you pointed out, it, it's kind of been proven. Uh, and, you know, when you're up that high, which hopefully the Packers aren't that often, they haven't been that often, and I don't anticipate them being up that high, I think you've got to draft into the strength of the draft at that point, okay? I mean, whatever is really strong that high in the draft. And this year, to me, I mean, it's a recurring theme. We've been calling for an edge rusher for years now, but, but for me, I think that's where you're going to have to end up here. You know, you want it, when you're drafting number 12, you want a guy who's going to be a star, who's going to be an impact player. Uh, and there's no better way to get that than an edge rusher. So if you've got an edge rusher that you love and he's there at 12, you got to go there. So that's the first place I would look. Offensive line wouldn't, wouldn't uh, bother me too much. Um, I don't know that they need to go that, that high, you know, to pick um, – a tackle, let's say. Um, I know Balaga probably has, what, he's got one more year in his contract, so you have to start thinking ahead there. But I think they could do fine picking somebody in rounds two uh, or three as his eventual replacement. So to me, um, you know, position-wise, I'm really looking at edge rusher there, but it um, doesn't mean that that's the only place I would look. But tight end, that, to me, I can definitely rule that one out for me. So it looks like we're all in agreement. So don't buy the hype, guys. Uh, and I don't mean that to <laughs> I don't mean that to disparage those players. I think that they're all all three of those guys that we mentioned are pretty good, but I don't think they're worth the 12th overall pick either. So we are out of time. Al, thank you very much for joining us for the 200th episode here. Uh, you can follow Al on Twitter. It's at JerseyAlGBP, and uh, be sure to do that because as it gets a little bit closer to the draft, I do know that he has some. Pretty decent information on some guys that uh, the Packers are at least looking at. Um, so so that's some good info to keep around, and he's got some good stuff all year long. And anything you need help with from a computer standpoint, from an IT standpoint, that's your guy. So, Al, enjoy the uh, the rest of the Knicks season, which isn't a whole lot. Like I mentioned, Kevin Durant. The Yankees are starting up here pretty quickly. Maybe Bryce Harper. The tank maybe. is strong. The tank is strong, let me tell you. There you go. The tank is strong. Maybe uh, maybe Bryce Harper or Manny Machado end up in New York by the time uh, we're talking about. I hope, not. I hope not. Okay, so that's a conversation we could have afterwards. But um, uh, thank you, as always, for joining us. Uh, the Packers are obviously something we're really all passionate about. 
Uh, you can follow this show. It's on at Packaday Podcast. Go to your favorite podcast platform. Give us a like, give us a subscription, give us a rating, all that sort of stuff. Send us questions. It's the off season. Zach and I will be trying to answer stuff all off season long. Draft, free agency, team in general related, or just some stuff about us. That would be fun as well. Zach, thanks for doing this with me this week again. As always, you can follow him. He's at Zach with an H, Jacobson, and uh, follow him on Twitter. He's got a lot of good stuff coming out as well. Uh, just recently, Zach, I think your most recent story was about how the Packers haven't had any conversations with Randall Cobb about a contract. Forgive me if I'm wrong about that. Um, but go ahead and give that a read as well. It's some pretty interesting stuff as the combine approaches. And you can follow me, the host. I am at Jacob Westendorf. I am doing the tight ends for the Cheesehead TV draft guide. And Al is doing offensive tackles. That's new stand level material, guys. I mean, there's a lot of good draft guides you'll get. Uh, but Cheesehead TV, it's what, I think nine bucks, Al? Is that uh, is that what we're going with yeah, for well, pre-orders early early bird i think starts at 6.99 and then once it's out i, I think it's uh, 8.99 so there you go so seven bucks yeah yeah. yeah absolutely a bargain find out about i mean there's a lot of good guys doing a lot of good stuff ross uglum's doing the edge tyler grezegorik's doing defensive line al offensive tackles myself tight ends like i mentioned there's so much information in there that you can get for seven dollars guys that's I mean, if you take out the three sodas that you buy during the week at uh, at the gas station, then there you go. You have the draft guide for you, and it's all digital, so you don't even have to carry it with you. Um, so we appreciate all that. But thank you guys, as always, for listening to this show. And as always, 200 episodes strong. Go Pack Go! Third and six, trailing 30 to 23. Two minutes straight up to go in the game. San Francisco showing a blitz through the A-gap, and here they come. Rodgers looking. Throws left side of the end zone. Yes! Yes! Devontae Adams! Left corner of the end zone from Aaron Rodgers! 16-yard touchdown pass. The Packers an extra point away from getting this game tied. Beathard on third, down and three in the shotgun. Football to the 46 at Green Bay. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Beathard looking, hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline, and intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Sam to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side, St. Brown makes the catch. Oh, he reached back to gather it in, using all 6-5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Snap to Rodgers, looking downfield, throws the left side. He's got it, out of bounds inside the 10-yard line. Oh, my goodness, what a throw and catch. Again, they beat Maven down the left sideline. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. And the Packers win 33-30.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.